everybody, welcome to the April 15th, 2016 edition of Colorado Winside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Dizzuti. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on the shooting of an unarmed suspect during a lunch hour traffic stop by Denver police, which has renewed conversations about when to use deadly force. While the suspect was unarmed, police reported the suspect made, quote, a threatening type maneuver. Panica Hoon from Westward, uh, you have a lunchtime shootout in the near downtown Denver. Uh, this was bound to make some news, even if it was handled correctly. What did you think of how everything went down? Well, first of all, anyone trying to park at Civic Center at lunchtime is going to make threatening maneuvers. So <laughs> that is not really a good excuse. This guy was not on a high-speed chase. He had not just killed somebody. You know, there was a warrant out, but there was no reason to have action that dramatic in a crowded, crowded area. I mean, you're firing how many shots? I think it was seven. And there are people all over that area at that time. Wrong time, wrong place. David Copel from the Independence mm -hmm. Institute and DU Law School. From what we know so far, because it's surely an only ongoing investigation, uh, what do you think of the reaction? The police were right in every respect, as I see it. This is a guy who the warrant was for armed robbery using a handgun of a bank. They were following him and it's important to get a guy like that off the street soon because he's an armed violent criminal based on his past behavior. When he parked the spouse and child got out of the car which created a small window where they could try to take him without endangering those other innocent people. They surrounded him or had him on, on different sides, for a minute they were ordering him, you know, hands up, get out of the car, those kinds of things. He had ample opportunity to surrender peacefully. Instead of doing that, while he's in the car, he makes a move. The lawfulness of police use of force by the Supreme Court's Graham v. Conner decision is judged on what a reasonable officer would believe under the circumstances. Under those circumstances, an armed violent felon making a move you can't see after you've been telling him for a minute to surrender and he doesn't, you would be recklessly endangering yourself not to account for the possibility that he's going for a gun. They shot him accurately. No one else was hit. All of the violence that resulted was entirely his fault and his choice based on his behavior. Eric Sondran, political analyst, even if it was by the book, and I have no reason to dispute uh, everything that uh, David had said, does the Denver police need to get out ahead of this somehow? I think it's not really ahead of it, but do some explanation of the different policies from at least the way the optics look. There'll be a time for that, and uh, this will all come out. David might be right, but I put the emphasis on the word might, and we do not yet know. Clearly, this was a bad guy. I happened upon, upon the scene. I was coming down. It was a half hour after the fact and, and uh, coming down Bannock, and obviously traffic was diverted, and half the cops in Colorado were on the scene um, uh, at that point in time. You 
if you're judging this as an individual case, you might come to one conclusion. If you're putting it in a broader context of everything, of all the other instances this city has lived through over the last months and years, then it leads you to perhaps ask more questions. The bottom line is he did not have a gun. Obviously, the police officers had no way of knowing that at the time. They, he hadn't voluntarily gotten out of the car uh, to be searched. Who knows what this maneuver was? And hopefully, in, through investigations, we will find out what the supposed maneuver was. Of one thing, you can be fairly sure, he will not be prosecuted because no cops in Denver under the current district attorney and the current DA's office are prosecuted. So you can probably go to the bank on that one. I'm not suggesting the cops should be prosecuted, but given that they never are, it is a safe bet. Natasha Gardner, senior editor of 5280 Magazine. You've done a lot of coverage of uh, the Denver police, all the different issues that go into that we've been talking about as a community for a long time. Do we need more education about some of the policies that the police follow in a situation like this for greater understanding of situations that we've just seen happen this week? I think absolutely. Um, unfortunately, the time when we think about that, about doing that, is usually after an event had happened. I would love to see some more proactiveness by the city and by the police, by the DA's office, to explain the process of what happens when a firearm is used by a police officer, because it is a very complicated process. Um, you know, I'm so, I've actually stood in the, the DP simulator when they have instances like this, what might count as a threatening um, maneuver. So I have a very small sense of how difficult understanding those those moments can be. And anyone who wants to have their own chance at that, I mean, Google it. You know, there's plenty of simulations where you can see how difficult it is to see what, what sort of event is occurring. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from the difficultness of, of the police's work. However, I am extremely concerned any time that this move out, moves out of the legal <coughs> process. And what I mean by that is right now this person is dead. What he should be doing is moving through our legal system. He should be potentially being charged, being processed, being moved through to a court trial. Instead, there has been a death sentence, and I know some people will find that that is a very harsh interpretation of what happened, but it is. He's dead instead of going through the legal process. So I think it's important for the community to always look at, okay, what was our involvement in that? And, and, and that involvement is the police that we employ and those police that are there to protect us and how they do their job. So this is not the last we're going to hear of this, but I would, as I said at the beginning, like the city to be a little more proactive in explaining how these situations actually occur. Ted Cruz made national headlines this week when he was able to secure all 34 of Colorado's Republican delegates last Saturday at the GOP State Assembly. Donald Trump blamed the loss on the delegate election rules of the Colorado Republican Party, claiming the system was rigged. Meanwhile, Trump supporters are expected to hold a protest at the state capitol on Friday. Patty, uh... Usually we're watching this political circus of the presidential campaign from afar in other states and comments, things of that. Finally, Colorado had, had its chance to shine, seeing a complete delegate wipeout, uh, Cruz taking all 34, um, by understanding the rules and playing by them, and, and, and Trump certainly not being able to do that. What did you make of the reaction and maybe the possible fallout? Well, the reaction is not over yet. Just today, there is an, an op-ed in the Wall Street Journal, of all places, by Donald Trump, making Colorado the rallying cry for this corrupt system that must be changed. What an honor that we are the rigged capital of the world. My biggest question for Donald Trump is, how is he going to get a handle on ISIS if he cannot get a handle on Colorado's election program? 
It's arcane, yes, but you know you need to have a ground game. And by all accounts, Ted Cruz had a great ground, ga ground game in Colorado, and he's had one, a good one in every other state. That's something that the Trump campaign has not done. And it's one of the ways you get your delegates and you win elections. The irony of him thinking that the Colorado Republican Party's still kind of inexplicable decision last fall not to add the straw poll vote at the first caucus on March 1. The fact that Trump is now using that as something that was put in place just to defy him is pretty good because at the time no one was even considering the fact that Trump would go this far. Um, so it was a funny decision. Colorado, the people who went to Colorado's caucus should have had the right to make that vote. That's what put it in line. Because they didn't, it moved it to the counties and now, then to the state. But the crews who actually showed up, had the ground game, and got the delegates is not a surprise. That's, that's what he got. And that Trump is going to keep whining about it is also not a surprise. <laughs> David, it didn't seem to me that Colorado's rules, while I can understand the complication of electing delegates that move forward through uh, a precinct and a county and then to the state, um, while it wasn't just a simple primary, didn't seem all that complicated to me. And also doesn't seem that the other states also have their other complicated rules. I mean, the Iowa caucus isn't exactly a walk in the park. What did you make of the situation? Well, let, let's keep the not talk mainly about the cry bully who, when he fails, always blames somebody else. He's the opposite of a winner. Everybody wins and loses sometimes, and the people who are the real winners are magnanimous when they lose, especially when they lose because they didn't play well or, or barely played at all. Ted Cruz's phenomenal organization in this state, with Representative Ken Buck as his chair, Regina Thompson as his grassroots leader, uh, performed in an outstanding way and unified the Republican Party. The, and that's an example of why Cruz is a candidate who might be able to win in November, because he has that strong organization, very data-driven, like, like Obama mm -hmm. in 2008, and unlike uh, Mr. Trumper Tantrum, who <laughs> just thinks that if you get on TV a lot, that's all you need to do to win the presidency. Trump made the decision after... Uh, his success in that ring run of uh, from New Hampshire to South Carolina. Uh, we're just going to dismantle our state organizations. We think we're going to wrap the whole thing up by March 15th. They're too cheap to invest in any state organizations because he doesn't have that much money. His he may have a lot of golf clubs, but that's not liquid assets, and you can't really give away free rounds of golf at Mar-a-Lago uh, to pay for the people to run organizations in the states. So he's got nothing, and he'll have nothing should he be the nominee uh, in November. The Colorado caucus system was created in 1912. Nobody was disenfranchised. People went to their caucuses, and they voted for the people they choose to send as delegates to the county assemblies. And when they do that, they could vote for whoever on whatever reason, including saying, I'll, I'll, I promise to support Cruz, I promise to support Trump, I'm, I'm diehard Kasich, whatever. Everybody who wanted to show up got a chance to vote, and this is one more indication of why Donald Trump is temperamentally a loser and unfit for the president. Uh, Eric, I've seen some great uh, spins uh, come out of a, out of a shellacking. Uh, usually they're sports-oriented, sometimes politically oriented, but none as creative as Donald Trump was able to turn into the fact that he would go from misspelling candidates' names on a sheet of paper at a, at a state assembly to the whole thing is rigged and make it into all, to, uh, all the way to the Wall Street Journal for editorial. At least in the creativity standpoint, I've got to give him high marks. Um, what did you think? 
He's had a rough month here. This has not been the only gaffe. Mm -hmm. uh, he is trying to turn lemons into lemonade, and he's done some of that over the last few days. He has made Colorado into a national cause celeb. Uh, I think we can start with the stipulation. I don't know if everyone around the table agrees, but I will stipulate our system, the caucus convention system, and I think it's finally been brought home this year, is long, long past its sell-by date. It's arcane. It's archaic. It is time to replace the system. I've been saying that for 20 years, but I think it's finally uh, the chickens have come home to roost. But it is the system we have for this particular cycle. The rules were not a state secret. They have been published and public since, I believe, last August. Somehow Ted Cruz and his people found those rules. I guess Donald Trump couldn't be bothered to find them. I try comparing Trump in some cases almost to Obama of eight years ago. Obama was a sensation who could fill any auditorium, any gym around the country to the rafters for people wanting to hear him speak. But he also had the back office part of it, which was meticulous organization. Trump is just a showman. There is nothing beyond the show. He thinks the idea of running for president or perhaps being president is to helicopter into town, get everyone all riled up through some stump speech, you know, head back to the airport and move on. That is a part of this game, but it is not the totality of it. In Donald Trump land, it is the totality of it. Trump's going to have a good couple weeks here coming up with New York and some other states, but the math is starting to get harder and harder of how he gets to 1237 before Cleveland or even within close, close shouting distance of 1237. Uh, and it's only going to get more interesting. Natasha, Colorado always has to be influential. We're a swing state. We enjoy that status. But usually for the general election, now we're being influential with these delegates. These 34 delegates really are a big deal now at the national convention level, especially might mean officially not getting, Trump not getting to the majority. Um, what do you think of Colorado's newfound status of influence well before the general? Well, I think that this newfound status is now going to become the status quo. Um, you know, there are certainly numbers released this morning about how many people are moving to Colorado, unemployment rate being so low in Colorado. This is a state that is is booming in many ways, and, and that's going to be economically, and that's going to be politically as well. Um, a few months ago at this table, I, I kind of channeled the sound of music and said that the GOP's problem was, what, what are we? how do we solve a problem like Donald Trump? <laughs> it appears that Ted Cruz's response was just to be organized. Um, and, and that might actually be enough to change the, the outcome of where we're at right now. Um, I do think that the, this situation, and especially with Colorado taking a more poignant role on the national political scene, is that whether it's in Colorado or elsewhere, it's maybe the time to get straw out of politics, like move it back to agriculture or hat making or something else. But there are better ways to tally votes in our states and, and to have a better and probably a more fair system, or people, a system that people would perceive as more fair. Daryl Glenn pulled off a major upset in the Republican U.S. Senate primary race at last Saturday's assembly. Glenn secured 70% of the vote, which knocked out all other candidates seeking nomination via the convention, including State Senator Tim Neville. David, Tim Neville was uh, the presumptive frontrunner, at least at the convention level, uh, and had uh, strong backing from Rocky Mountain gun owners. It was stunning both for him and a, it seemed like a stunning rebuke to uh, the Rocky Mountain gun owners. What's your take? I, I wouldn't call it a re rebuke to RMGO much as I would like to. Um, <laughs> and, and I don't think anything that Senator Neville did anything wrong in his campaign. He was well organized. He was out there meeting, meeting the, going to the 
coffees and the assemblies and everything else. He just got blown away uh, by a, a hurricane that unexpectedly came into town. That was an outstanding speech. And while I think there were a lot of delegates who thought Neville was fine, Daryl Glenn offered them something exciting and new. This is a different Republican Party than we had 40 years ago in the state. Of the, the Senate candidates now they have, two of them are black. Uh, this ha and the others are not exactly old-time veterans the way in the former days you had to work your way up the system for 20 years before you could run for Senate. Um, whether Glenn can take that great speech and build an organization that can get primary voters out, that, that's a whole other thing. Uh, but the person who was the saddest uh, when the results were announced was Michael Bennett's campaign manager because they were set for Neville to win the primary with a small plurality and then they run against him because he's too, too right-wing and everything. Now, Daryl Glenn's a very conservative guy himself, but partly because of race and because of style uh, may come across in a more in inclusive way in Colorado. So we, we've got five unknown candidates and we'll see who can, who can pull it off in the primary. Eric, how does uh, Glenn turn this momentum into the actual primary beyond the convention? It's going to be tough. That's his challenge. He has to start by raising some money. Uh, I think there's something to be concerned about here, and it's not just at that convention, but it's our politics as a rule these days, and Donald Trump is case study number one, which is what I call the shiny object rule. And voters seem, and even delegates, political activists seem so inclined now for the shiny object. Daryl Glenn, by all accounts, gave a tremendous speech. But one speech should not make a campaign or a career in the United States Senate. But yet he was the shiny object of last Saturday at the Colorado Springs World Arena. Donald Trump is the shiny object of the year. And I, I, I think there's some cautionary tales there. Main point I want to make, Dominic, is in this system we have, there is just no correlation between being the favorite at the assembly and actually winning a primary. If anything, over the last 20, 30, 40 years, there's almost an inverse correlation. Look at the last big Senate primary we had here, which was six years ago when Bennett ran the last time. Andrew Romanoff beat him at the, at the state Democratic convention 60-40. He was on the top line. How did that work out? Look at the Republican uh, contest two years ago for governor. There were four candidates uh, on the ballot. Mike Kopp was on top because he did the best at the convention. He finished in fourth place. Scott Gessler was second. He finished in third place. Bob Beaupre was third. He won it. And Tom Tancredo was last on the ballot. He came in second place. There is just zero correlation between the qualities that make a candidate very attractive for that small petri dish of delegates who show up at a state convention and are all about the gung-ho and the broader base of voters in the party who turn out at primary election time. Natasha, let's uh, fast forward and see if, if Daryl Glenn can turn this momentum into a win for the primary. As, as David said, it's, it's not like he's going against a lot of huge political heavy hitters. There's a, a lot of folks with similar uh, limited experience. Does he, is he a considerable foe for Michael Bennett? Yes, but I think just because most of these races across the country are up in the air, I think people have a general distrust of, of Washington right now, and that's probably Bennett's biggest knock against him is simply that he is the incumbent. Um, you know, I would say that with Daryl Glenn, we're just starting to see what kind of candidate he is going to be. Um, his speech, the speech, as it's been coined by some of the people who watch it, is actually available online. I would encourage everyone to watch it because it is a fascinating insight into both politics and just how speeches are made, but also who he is and what he believes in. He does not 
hold back. You know within seconds what he feels. In fact, before he even introduces his name, he has already said he's going to defund Planned Parenthood. So, and it just keeps rolling from that. And, and, and that's kind of part of the, the semantics of the, of the speech. I mean, he gets everything from Iraq to um, military force to protect Israel to sanctuary cities to, to just about everything in between. What will be interesting now is now that he set that tone, here's who I am, this is what I believe in, which is refreshing to many people, and we've certainly seen that in, in various races that are occurring right now. Um, but now it's going to be, well, how, how do you plan to do that? <laughs> And that's going to be the tricky, tricky spot for him as he goes up against Bennett, who has much more of a track record. Patty, Tim Neville went from presumptive frontrunner to off the ballot in one simple vote. Um, how would you characterize this particular fall? Oh, justified in a lot of ways. <laughs> but what we're going to see next time is people are going to remember to petition onto the ballot if they want a secure spot. I mean, we have four for competitors now for Glenn because they decided to just petition on. And they were they all had their attractions too as candidates. I mean Ryan Frazier, also black, has run before. He um, he's a good candidate. We it is the shiny object. It's really interesting. You do not want to leave your political fortunes to these conventions. Uh, even though the rules are there, there's, they are arcane to one person can triumph for unexpected reasons. We also see that Lamborn is going to have a competitor, which is fascinating. Another great, great speech you can watch online by a complete 32-year-old newcomer, Vargas. So that she is, came 18 votes from knocking him off the bat. Right, which is really interesting. So um, you like the political theater, and it is theater, but a lot of people are just going to go the safe petition way from now on. Let's get a quick round on this one. The Colorado Democratic Party announced a counting error this week that gives Bernie Sanders one additional delegate for the March caucuses. The announcement led to claims of fraud and calls for the resignation of party chair Rick Palacio from Bernie Sanders supporters. Maybe a little bit of an overreach. Uh, Eric, your quick reaction to this counting error. Two very quick takes. One, it is an overreach. I mean, this wasn't a counting error. It is interesting that all the errors seem to work in Hillary's favor. All the ties, you know, the flip of the coin always comes out in Hillary's favor. That's interesting. Secondly, we keep talking about the chasm and the divide in the Republican Party these days. It's an enormous chasm. The Democratic Party has a huge chasm as well between the Hillary base and what they want and, and the Bernie base. And this is a chasm that's not just going to get settled with a nomination fight in Philadelphia. It's going to be settled over a number of years as there's a battle for the heart and soul of that party. Natasha, it's one delegate, but does it, does it signify a much bigger issue? It does, and I'm particularly disturbed that they didn't alert um, Bernie Sanders' campaign because they said it wasn't essentially a big deal. Well, for him, one delegate is a huge deal. And when you look at the momentum that comes out of Colorado, could, you can't unwind that clock. So as, as we move forward, um, could that have changed where he's at right now? Possibly. And the fact that we have to ask that question is extremely disturbing. Patty, are we seeing a pretty tough uh, job for whoever wins this uh, Democratic nomination to unite the party again? Yeah, I think it is going to be very, very tough. And I'm just waiting for all voters in America to discover this little thing called the Electoral College. I mean, if they are suddenly <laughs> discovering that our party rules are arcane, think what's going to happen when they suddenly discover this newfangled Electoral College, which means it's not necessarily elect election by popular vote. <laughs> David, wrap it up for us. Anybody can make mistakes. The error wasn't the problem, but it was the problem was the error was concealed for a long time and only uncovered by the Denver Post. So I, I think the Bernie supporters have a legitimate complaint here. Let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace of the Week. And as always, Ms. Cummins, start us off. It's been a pretty disgraceful week, but I'm going to have to give it to the blood of the city 
as he told the 911 call, uh, call recipient, John Bowen just convicted yesterday of harassment. David. At the Democratic debate last night, both candidates talked about opposition to racism and rich people who cheat on their taxes and don't pay their fair share, and yet they are both going and pandering to Al Charlatan, a tax deadbeat who owes five million bucks and whose only thing he ever does is promote racism, including the Tawana Brawley hoax, including inciting the riot in Brooklyn uh, that led to the killing of Jewish people. I wish at some point you would give a firm opinion of how, what you thought about Al Charlatan, but you know, I guess, I guess <laughs> yeah. one day. Eric. I'll go ditto and ditto, but uh, we've already talked about the Denver DA's office. I'm going to make that my disgrace in the sense of they're getting ready to retry Clarence Moses L., who did 28 years under, uh, for a very dubious conviction, where there are a whole lot of signs that he was a completely innocent man. Even if not, he has done 28 years, he's given 28 years of his life. At a bare minimum, there should be a special prosecutor in this case because a lot of the conduct relates to the Denver DA's office. So they're not the ones who should be, if there's going to be a new trial at all, it should not be conducted by them. There's a miscarriage of justice going on in this city. And to retry this man by the same office that convicted him in the first place is a miscarriage. Natasha. I'm going to go a little more lighthearted and preemptive as we are opening the light rail to the airport next yeah. week. I've seen a lot of chatter about parking. This is a very important topic before people get upset, before it actually opens. Please go to RTD's site. They have a lot of information on when you can do it, where you can do it, how long you can do it for. Please just do that so that parking at, at these light rail stations doesn't have to be a disgrace. Time to see something yeah. nice about somebody. Patty? Uh, City Councilwoman Robin Kanish, who's been working really hard to come up with some compromise on the marijuana moratorium, which is supposed to be lifted May 1, unless they can come up with a plan. David. Bipartisan folks in the U.S. Senate, uh, John Bassaro, Republican from Wyoming, uh, John Tester, uh, Democrat from Montana, the two leading members of the Indian Affairs Committee, issuing a subpoena to the EPA to come and testify about the Gold King uh, mine disaster, which they caused. Uh, and they had to issue the subpoena because EPA kept on holding out and refusing to come forward. Eric. Former President Bill Clinton, at least for a brief moment in time, when he told the truth or at least uh, provided some useful perspective to the crime bill that he signed back in the 90s, showed some fortitude in standing up to Black Lives Matters um, pro provocateurs and then was forced very quickly to roll it all back and, and do a dance of, uh, of penance uh, in keeping with the political correctness of the age and of, of the Democratic Party. Natasha. A topic we didn't get to today but certainly is in the news is about the Denver Public Schools and the, um, the new uh, appointee and child abuse um, uh, charges. Why, why I bring that up is because April is actually Child Abuse Prevention Month, and there are wonderful activities going on this month. And so while that story might overshadow some of the great efforts that are happening right now, from parenting classes to pinwheel gardens to all kinds of things, let's, let's stay focused on, on trying to do something about the issue. Well put. That's all the time we had tonight. Thanks for tuning in. As always, be sure to check out our podcast on iTunes and for CIO Post Game segment on Twitter and Facebook. For everyone here at Channel 12, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night. Thank you.